In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. In this week's Gospel lesson, we are given another tough look for a couple of the disciples, which is all too familiar. The passage opens with James and John saying to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's not a great first impression here. I almost imagine Jesus being amused as he replies, what is it that you want me to do for you? So they say to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. I guess on the one hand, we could commend them for boldly asking for what I'm sure they thought was a great promotion maybe with a raise and proper ancient Near Eastern benefits. On the other hand, however, it is painfully clear that James and John have absolutely no clue what they're actually asking for. And what is all too familiar about this moment is how often the the disciples seem to enormously miss the point of Jesus's message. And making fun of the disciples for what they can't see is some classic Christian low-hanging fruit. We often look at their mistakes and we judge them with our benefit of hindsight. But it can be enlightening to empathize with them just a little bit more and to try and understand their thinking in that particular moment. James and John truly believe themselves to be revolutionaries. They see Jesus as their triumphant leader, flipping tables, raising the dead, healing the afflicted, and drawing enormous crowds clawing just to sit at his feet. So as his closest friends and his chosen mentees, the disciples consider themselves to be at the vanguard of a massive cultural, social, and political upheaval. And I think they can be forgiven for that. When James and John ask to be at Jesus's right hand and at Jesus's left hand, they picture themselves in positions of glory in the temple rather than in positions of humiliation on a cross. In other words, they see themselves flanking power incarnate, not God incarnate. And what is truly amazing about what they've missed this time is that Jesus has just told them for the third time in the Gospel of Mark what would happen to him and what is coming. Literally, in the verses just before this passage this morning, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he points and says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Those are the verses immediately preceding this morning's passage where James and John ask to sit at Jesus's right and left hand. No, clearly James and John have no idea what they're asking for. And Jesus tells them as much. After their request, he replies, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? To which they reply, we are able. 
Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. And James and John are not the two men who are crucified alongside Jesus, hung to his right and to his left. In fact, after Jesus is arrested, they scatter in fear along with the other disciples, abandoning the man they thought would lead them into glory. Next, Jesus drives his point home, telling them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. At this point in history, the threat of the Roman Empire was imminent. The destruction of Jerusalem was coming, and Jesus knew that the end of his life was drawing near. He is saying that the political authorities are the ones who seize power and lord it over others. But that's not our way. That's not what we do. For whoever wishes to become great must serve. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's saying that there will always be a pull towards power and towards tyranny. That temptation is so easy to lose ourselves in, but it's not the way of the kingdom of God. As ever, Jesus is teaching about discipleship. The definition of the ministry of Jesus is service and humility, always keeping an eye towards Jerusalem. In other words, due north on the compass of Christian discipleship is the crucifixion, Jesus' ultimate act of humility and service. And if we ask to be on his right hand and on his left hand, it's not necessarily in glory, but more likely involves crosses. Now, that might strike you as a dangerous way of thinking, and it should in some ways, but I don't think it means Jesus is asking us to die or to go looking for some kind of transcendent experience of particular suffering. I think God knows that suffering is inevitable in this life, and it will come. And when it does, we know that we are walking with God, who suffered deeply, and that God is near to us uniquely in the midst of suffering, closer than our very breath. And as we pursue authentic Christian discipleship, it doesn't mean running ourselves into the ground or never doing what we need to do to take care of ourselves. Jesus also rested, and Jesus spent time alone. That compass pointing towards the crucifixion is a reminder for us not to be tempted by power that crushes someone else. It's a reminder that the central figure of our faith chose sacrifice over glory and solidarity over tyranny. It reminds us of who we are, what we are capable of becoming, and the choices we must make as the baptized. Amen.